the theme for the evening talk is uh, meditation and spiritual inquiry. Perhaps most of you are familiar with the word uh, vipassana, the, I can spell it, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. And its original use, and its uh, sometimes the traditional use, have actually come to have a difference. And what I mean therein is that the original uh, meaning of this word is insight and it's insight into the nature of things, insight into existence, into the inner life, into circumstances, and insight which makes a difference, not just a thought about, not just um, an idea or an interesting viewpoint, but it makes a difference. And in some way or other, Insight, therefore, is clarifying. And the word in the earliest text in the Buddhist tradition was nearly always prefixed with another word called samatha. Samatha means calmness, contentment, um, peacefulness, um, meditative awarenesses. And so the teachings are in a way a combination one aspect of the teachings of samatha vipassana meaning calm and insight what happened over the years over the centuries was that in monasticism quite often the very lifestyle induced and encouraged a certain quality or level of calmness. The disciplinary rules, the mode of being, the simplicity of uh, life, lifestyle, the tremendous emphasis on respect, on um, tolerance, on humility, all of that became very conducive for a lifestyle which contributed and generated a lot of calmness and peacefulness. Uh, there and it would appear that as the time the centuries went by it was felt that there wasn't enough insight and realizations taking place it was a calm and peaceful life which of course is not in any way to be uh, disregarded but there wasn't the the insights and the perceptions and the realizations weren't taking place what emerged out of all of that was what has come today to be called vipassana tradition, insight meditation tradition. Therefore, emphasizing and focusing on the necessity, not only for calmness, but for insight and for clear understanding. Now, to give you an example, my, um, one of my two teachers, Ajahn Damodaro, he refused to give any instruction and any teachings on anapanasati, that means on mindfulness of breathing. 
he said it was just conducive, if you say this to the monks and nuns, just to calmness, to relaxation. And he would say to them, you've got enough of it already. It's not calmness and relaxation that you need. You need some realisation. You need some insight. And so he was very much the hard core school of the tradition. It's insight which matters. That's all that counts in existence. And it's that kind of viewpoint which has gone on for 2,000 years. I uh, was given a poem by a Chinese Vipassana teacher from the 7th century called the Song of Enlightenment. And it reminded me very well and clearly how in this long lineage of Vipassana uh, teachers and teachings the same kind of message has gone out again and again of focus, see the truth, realise it, live it, discover it. And that's a kind of emphasis on the Vipassana tradition. What has occurred over the period of time, which is something of a departure from the original meaning, is that Vipassana itself has got associated in some of the schools, of the tradition, with method and technique. And sometimes people will say, teachers will say, oh, I practice vipassana. <laughs> You'd be lucky. I practice um, insight um, meditation. Really, it's, um, it's the methodology and the technique and I practice vipassana is in fact a contemporary interpretation. In a way, one, one might say one's practice, what, what use that for, is awareness and uh, attention and observation and hopefully out of that seeing and out of that exploration will come some insight. Vipassana will emerge. One can't practice Vipassana. It's not really a method and technique, but contemporary usage of some, not myself, but certainly some teachers, when they, they will say, um, well, first of all, we practice samatha, say mindfulness of breathing in and out, and then after that, three or four days or weeks or years or whatever, then we'll practice vipassana. And vipassana is associated with a special method and technique. There are some schools, uh, teachers and teachings who will criticise Vipassana and they will say, as one person had commented here, oh, I got told Vipassana is rather dangerous and one really shouldn't do Vipassana. Now, what does that mean? So, again, it's the way of looking at things, but essentially, the teachings here are a life of awareness through insight into the nature of things to see and understand things clearly. And that is what is meant by Vipassana. And so it was felt from monasticism that it was necessary, vitally necessary, to emphasize Vipassana, insight. And that applies not only in the Vipassana tradition, but in in its sister traditions of Dzogchen, the same principle in Tibetan Mahayana tradition, and in uh, Zen as well. It's the realisation, it's the discovery, it's the insight which matter. And therefore there's a, a common bonding and sharing which takes place.
I mentioned all of this, not to, in order to give you um, a history lesson, but much more importantly, in relationship to the quality of one's own experience, which matters far, far, far more than anything uh, uh, else, and certainly far more than the Vipassana tradition, and the Buddha as well, for that matter. And in the quality of experience, what can and does happen for some people is that the emphasis, without realising it, keeps going to the samatha. That means, keeps going, as one person was reporting, to calmness and relaxation, uh, reduction of stress, um, general sense of well-being and contentment. And somewhat generated by environmental uh, conditions. And though there might be a deepening of samatha, S-A-M-A-T-H-A, though there might be a deepening of the samatha, it doesn't mean to say that as a result of the deepening of samatha, the insight and understanding of things will come. And as I was speaking a little bit uh, yesterday evening, thus there can be a ra- not a joyful awakening after retreat, but a rude awakening after retreats when one finds that one gets to Newton Abbott Railway Station and all one's samatha has gone out of the station window as somebody lights up a cigarette in front of you in a no-smoking compartment or whatever. So, the samatha aspect requires internal conditions, of course, but also it requires and generally the support of external supportive conditions as well when we're speaking just of samatha. So one can end up in level of calmness at a certain kind of plateau of just a certain level of calmness inwardly, outwardly supportive. And then the mind will have to ask itself, well, why aren't there the insights? Why isn't there the, the realizations? Why aren't the discoveries coming to me? And so it then becomes, a, I think, a fairly valid point to bring in some form of spiritual inquiry to help make the link, so to speak, between calmness of being and insights which make the difference. And spiritual inquiry, inwardly, outwardly, is a direct contribution that. When a person begins to make some inquiry, and I will speak in a few minutes about some of the forms that that can take, and when a person begins to make some inquiry, there has to be some factor of risk which takes place. And probably one of the most common factors of risk which takes place is that the very raising of deep, rather profound questions about life, about one's own life, about the existence, stimulates the mind. So the effect of it can be, by raising questions, I start thinking more. And it seems such a pity when one has spent so long in meditation trying to, trying to reduce the level of thinking, only to be told that oh, you're just living on a plateau of calmness and it won't last. Then to, by people like me, I would come out and say that, then to start engaging in some inquiry and that produces a lot of thinking and one then starts thinking, well, I might as well be at 
well, be at Newton Abbott Railway Station because what's the difference, etc. So calmness and uh, insight, it can be and is a challenge to oneself in sense of what is the what brings the two together. The Buddha used a rather um, rather um, a lovely um, analogy, and the analogy which he 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 used, he said, human body is like a castle, and the castle has um, five windows to it, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and through the fi- through the five windows travels two messengers to the lord of the castle. And the messengers which travel are, the the messengers which are travelling have the names Samatha and Vipassana. And the lord of the castle is awareness. And the two messengers, Samatha and Vipassana, bring the same essential message, liberation and enlightenment. That's the core message that they bring to awareness. And, as I say, sometimes we can, in process of um, meditative practices, in a way reach a kind of level of calmness of being, which is to be commended for all that it uh, gives for psychological and emotional uh, well-being and, and health. But unfortunately, if there isn't insight, and I'm not talking about any sudden flashes, but if there isn't insight, the quality of the calmness of, and well-being will be dependent on the environment. And therefore it will dissolve. It has to. And it's hard to say what is the insight, what is the understanding which gives support to it. And to some it's a sudden flash, for sure sudden realisation, sudden discovery of things and it's crystal clear and it's not shaken or lost off easily. And for others, it's not that anything suddenly happens which is even perceptible to consciousness. But there is insight there, there is understanding there. Why? Because the calmness stays in the face of different conditions. So when we're talking of insight, we're not necessarily talking of a sudden flash of insight in the way that we might conventionally, but that which has has come, which is giving support, in this case, to calmness. So now looking at ourselves, as I mentioned, with regard to this relationship of calm and insight, inquiry is a form and expression uh, of that. And thus it might be necessary, and sometimes it is for us, to actually bring in, and again a time-honoured practice of doing, of doing this, of bringing in a topic or theme of an issue or an area of life which one knows in one's heart of one's heart that it matters. What is my relationship to? How do I see this? How, what's the understanding about this? And that can show itself in the various uh, demonstrations of, 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 of ego. What, what is it 
what do I notice? This is a, a psychological inquiry, one might say. What, is, what are the times in which the ego is most obviously at its most intense? What, what, what situation, since I've been on this retreat, whoever the I is, since I've been on this retreat, which has revealed the strongest expression of ego, that means the unsatisfactory manifestation of I. What, 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 what example, what situation, I'm not asking you this question that you have to answer here and now because you probably wouldn't want to. And that would be another form of the ego. But what, <laughs> what expression of I has stood out most strongly, which is most unsatisfactory in this retreat? As an example. Is it, has, has anything been understood from this? Or do I disregard it as a passing event? It just came and it just went and there's nothing to be understood from it. What's, um, what's the relationship do I have to, um, to change or impermanence? Not just uh, an intellectually clever statement, oh, everything is coming and going, everything is passing. What, in fact, is my relationship? Or, to put it in a little bit more immediate term, what in life am I most afraid to lose? That's always a good way of testing what one's real relationship is to impermanence. What in life am I most afraid to lose? Sometimes the question of inquiry can be uh, on heart matters as well. Where is the love when I'm sitting observing the breath? Sometimes I say, what, 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 what does that mean? Where is the love? Where, 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 where is the, um, where is the uh, compassion when I'm uh, eating food? What does it mean to, to be a free human being? And these kind of questions can act, as I say, a, a bridge, facilitate in a way between calmness meditation for all the benefits that it can and does offer, emotional, psychological and spiritual, all the range of experiences that it can offer in deep absorption, but coupled with and balanced with insight. What, do I, what, what in life is the most important thing to understand? What's the most essential thing of life? And those kind of questions or kind of inquiries is something, in a way, which we learn to carry with us, learn to hold, learn to live with, learn to let rest. And it's not something for the, the buddhologists and the, uh, and the scholars and the uh, meditation teachers to say, well, the answer to that question is this. So in our willingness to look at some questions, we begin to recognize that an inquiry for insight and for realization, using the form of inquiry, can fall in a way into two areas or categories. Again, a, a traditional definition here. 
One of them is the inquiry to help understand myself. Who am I? What am I? My feelings, my emotions, my experiences, my way of being, my relationships, my views about uh, work, study, social life, personal life, etc. So there's forms of inquiry which we need to dig into to understand, as it were, our personal life, our so-called personal life. And we need silences and space and meditation and periods of reflection. And a number of you here have said to me, part of my reason for being here is to be in a situation where I can be silent and, and still, where I can meditate and reflect and can look at some of the personal issues of my life to see whether I can get a fresh view of it, a fresh angle on it, a fresh perception. And all of that interest is the work of insight. That is what Vipassana is. It's a fresh way of looking at things which one feels well and okay about. And that's very much a function of the tradition of the teachings here. So there are there's those forms of inquiry which are to do with one's personal life. There's forms of inquiry which are transpersonal. And transpersonal inquiry, meaning here, looking into issues through inquiry into life, which is of significance, whether all know it or not, and relates to every aspect of life. Everything. And to everybody. And everything from what is liberation, what is a, a free human human being, what is the significance of, of the heart, what is the relationship to letting go, what is surrender, what does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to, to uh, touch the truth? What is it to be with God? Many, many forms which are not specifically to do with my personal life and how I am living and what I am doing with my life, though there's an incredibly important place for that kind of inquiry into our personal lives, so to speak. But there's also those transpersonal inquiries which are equally important and, and, and vital. All of that brings and uh, accelerates, so we say, the world of calmness and insight. What for? For illumination. What for? For liberation, for enlightenment. To live an enlightened life. And therefore to take it out of some strange esoteric Buddhist uh, category that it only happens to one person, as some of these odd Buddhists will say, um, in, a, in an entire kalpa, a, Kalpa, if you haven't heard this word, is a, a long time, one hell of a long, <laughs> one hell of a long time. And, and that's to make a metaphysic out of enlightenment, and I think it's silly and nonsensical. But more, what it does it, what did it mean to live an enlightened life? What stops me, whoever the me is, what stops me from living an enlightened life? What inhibits it? And those kind of questions and determin determinations are such that they relate as a consideration to each and every person. And so sometimes 
when the teachings have said with great authority when one is enlightened all are enlightened it's an enlightened insight that realises the significance and the truth of what that means when one is enlightened all are enlightened it's not some clever um, gooey idea which is put out, you know, etc, etc. It's a realisation which ends the dualism. When one is enlightened, all are enlightened. And those discoveries and, and, and realisations have come from what? They have come from the two messengers. Come from calm and insight, which has illuminated awareness. And so the core thing of what we are actively concerned with in our time here. In the movement of ego, in the movement of I that takes place, in the many ways that we um, can notice it as a, an influence, a disturbing influence on the ability to see and to realise, is one which Plenty of conversations that we have, communications that we have referred to, is the tendency towards reactivity. Reactivity which is often to affirm in an intense, exaggerated way, to grab hold of, to run after, or the other extreme, which is to reject. To react against. And the knowing of ourselves where there is ego going on and we pick the form of the ego up quite often its manifestation is somehow building something up or putting something down. And it's one of the most tangible forms of ego expression. And we can build up and put down to our heart's total discontent. (laughs) And we can take any of the multiple faces of existence, any of the countless particulars of existence, and this odd force of the ego grabs and builds or grabs and puts down. And this world we make into a reality. And, and we think in our deluded state that that grabbing first and building, grabbing and putting down, is the truth of the matter, is the real world, is what's going on. And the analogy which is used rather wisely uh, is it's like walking in the dark and looking down at the ground and seeing a snake. It, it's a twig, it's a twig, it's a, it's a piece of rope. And one looks at it and sees a snake, those of you who have uh, ever lived in the jungle or cave or forest or whatever it might be, uh, know, know this ex- ex- experience. And every reaction in the body and in the emotions and in the thoughts is absolutely convinced that it's a snake 
and one's going to get bitten by it. The eyes confirm it, the emotions confirm it, the feelings confirm it, the body, the desire to get away from, etc., etc. And one just stops for a little while longer, looks more closely at the situation, and <laughs> God, it's a twig, it's a rope. And one thinks, how on earth could I have really believed with such fear, terror, anger, paranoia, whatever, that what I was seeing could have such an effect on me. And now I see clearly and it's not what I imagined. This is called illumination. This is called coming out of the darkness and seeing things as they are. It's realizing means to make the reality real. To make the truth actual. And there are plenty of situations in our life, I'm sure, where we haven't seen that something is a rope or a twig at the time, but we've realized it later on. And we think, how the hell did I get myself into that? And we become Buddhas of enlightenment about something about five or ten years too late. We're trying to bring that power of realization and clarity in the moment that it happens. Not a week, a month, a year, a decade later. Now I see. Now I realize. And how many times have we said, if I knew, my mother says, if I, I, I tried not to quote her, but it comes out. <laughs> if I knew now what I, no, if I knew then what I know now, that's it. It's it, 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 it's the favorite mantra of the elderly. If I knew then what I know now, I would, things would be so different. It's a great mantra. Far more popular than Maharishi's ever dug up. <laughs> and we're saying, let's know, in that deep sense of it, let's know now. We can't afford to wait to know when it's too late. And so the bringing of our awareness to situations that the, the, the Lord of life, in that respect, as the Buddha commented on awareness, the Lord, it's the light which reveals, that to bring to awareness two situations in our life which do need addressing, not avoiding, not denying, not putting away, but actually need addressing. And what we're saying, in other words, is sometimes the form of the addressing is the addressing of the ego, which is either grabbing onto and building up or grabbing onto and putting down. And quite often, there's enough insight inside of ourselves coming through all that ego stuff which says, this is ridiculous. Which says, what am I making such a fuss about this for? What am I, what am I so caught up in this for? I don't need to be grasping and, and indulging and wrapped up in all of this stuff. That 
inner voice of sanity, that coming through from the from the, the, the depths of oneself can come through like a like a ray of light through the darkness of one's egotism. And we're saying that ray of light that can come come through that that ray of light comes through so freely and easily that it dispels the darkness. And sometimes we have been in so-called intense and dramatic situations of our life which seem unbelievable, intense. And despite all of that, there's still this voice of light which says, is it really... And it just brings enough sanity to dispel some of the cloud of the ego, which makes huge projections out of building up and putting down. And quite often, as we know only too well, it's quite often to the same object, not two different things. And sometimes to the very degree that we've built up something, someone, ourselves, others, is to the same degree that we will put down, unless there's been some wisdom and insight in between time. So, uh, looking into ego, it's not just the problem, really, of e- ego, of seeing things, the snake instead of the rope. That's not just the problem of that. But rather, tragically, perhaps the greater problem is what it prevents us from realising. How it denies us the opportunity in life for a, a genuinely free life and the love and the kindness and the ease of existence that comes with it. A way of being which is not driven with ego. These practices and explorations and inquiries inwardly, outwardly that we engage in here is a kind of reminder to us and an opportunity as well. So here's the, the castle of the body. There are the, the windows, the turrets or whatever we might say. Uh, there are two messengers come outwardly and inwardly of course. To what? To awareness which reveals and to that awareness comes an illumination. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be illuminated. So let's have our two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please?